Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and then on the NSN app. If you don't have it, go out and get it. It's really easy. Download it all day. You can listen to great content oriented towards the Jewish media, fan, music, talk, great shows, just like this one, and more. And uh, I know I say it every week, but what another week it's been politically. Uh, And not just politically, but the country, the United States of America, that is, is changing before our eyes. It's rather remarkable that the catalyst was the death of one George Floyd in Minneapolis, right heart, right center in the heart of the country, in the heartland, the northern part of the heartland, that is. And the video and the pictures that happened with regard to eight minutes of George Floyd has galvanized a movement that is looking at a huge legacy of racial injustice in our country, in our great country. And that is the fact that America remains a great country precisely because of what's going on here, precisely because of our ability to change and change ourselves. And change is not easy. And I know many people out there are horrified by what they see, what they've seen, on both from both perspectives, people are horrified by what happened to George Floyd, and rightly so. I'm horrified by what happened to George Floyd. I'm horrified by what happened in Georgia to an African-American jogger who was killed, and it seems that the investigation itself revealed that... He was targeted because he was black. And one of the participants, who at first was thought to be a bystander, who actually had the video, made racial slurs. Sorry, one of the shooters made racial slurs. And then they concocted this alibi that they thought he was a robber, and the police basically did nothing. The local police basically did nothing until outside law enforcement took a look at the case and took it over, and it actually took a New York Times article to go ahead and galvanize the state of Georgia around that. And unfortunately... And I think a lot of people need to understand that that is something that we face, or sorry, that the country faces. The idea that you cannot get justice if you are black, if you are African-American and you are victimized somehow by lawlessness yourself. And that's a legacy of slavery, that's a legacy of hundreds of years of racism in many parts of the country. And don't think that any of us, any of us, myself included, are immune from that. And it shouldn't be. 
we should never have a situation where anyone is treated differently in the eyes of the law because they are black, because they're Latino, because they are white, because they're Jewish, because they're Hasidic, because they're Asian. That's what we should all be fighting for. That's what we should all be working towards, that kind of society. And you might say, well... Let's just make everything colorblind. That really should be enough. And let's not, you know, go overboard. The bottom line, and let's just confront history in a true way, is that the symbols of racism and the symbols of slavery and the legacy of slavery and the legacy of segregation and the legacy of redlining and not allowing African Americans into certain neighborhoods, not allowing them into certain schools, into certain the same way Jews were also excluded for many years in this country. And I say this, and I consider myself to be a conservative Republican, and I long have felt that this is a blind spot for our party, for my party, I'm sorry, our party. The blind spot for my party is the exploitation, in many cases, over the last couple decades of white resentment towards minorities. And it's not just about immigration. It's something that we need to confront, we need to think about. And... On top of that, we do see a tendency by the police to close ranks on things sometimes that go wrong. And it's not just about black people. It can happen even to white people, as we saw in Buffalo, where a 75-year-old man was shoved and pushed and fell back hit his head and was bleeding from his head. And the police officers who shoved him initially said that he tripped, except again, once again, there was video. And there was video in Georgia, and there was video of George Floyd, just graphic. Incredibly jarring video. And what can you say? What can you say to that. Unfortunately, as happened in Buffalo, there are always mitigating circumstances. There are always things that go on. The procedure of the police was clearly to walk past him and then have somebody behind him who was a trained medic to go ahead and confront because you don't break the line. But the video looked incredibly bad for the Buffalo Police Department. And then they suspended the two officers who shoved this man. And many of the officers, 57 from that unit, resigned. And we know about the blue wall. We know about the idea that the police close ranks to protect themselves because they do a very difficult job. You can't have... It's extraordinarily difficult to put your life on the line day in and day out and be a target. 
and I say this with respect and admiration for those who don the badge and swear to protect us, meaning me and my family, my life, my property. We need them. We respect them. But no one is above the law. No one should be without accountability for their actions. And that goes for the rioters and the looters and everyone in between. No one should be unaccountable. No politician should be unaccountable. And I think that that's important for people in our community who may not, who are more insular, and we look inward and we tend to look many times at the things that are going on outside of our walls. And we've confronted for the last three months this horrible pandemic, this horrible magefa, this horrible plague that has devastated so many. And we've worried about that, that we might have a tendency to think about what's going on in the country as far as George Floyd is concerned as you know, the outside world's problems. And we just have to deal with ourselves. But don't think and don't don't be fooled into thinking what goes on outside in the outside world. What this firmament, this disruption, this potential realignment is not going to affect us. And we need to feel sympathy and the pain of people in of in outside of our community who are looking just simply for justice, the same way we are, meaning the Orthodox and the Jewish community are looking for justice many times when we feel that we've been wronged. And one might look at all these protests and the counter-protests and everything along those lines and say, there's no hope, it's hopeless. Where does this, where does this go? Where does this movement go? And so let's make a couple points, a couple, I guess, political points. Number one is I believe, and I'm going to quote my former boss, Governor George Pataki, who made a wonderful, I mean, I think it's totally appropriate tweet. People think America is bitterly divided. Ask yourself how many Americans think what happened to George Floyd is acceptable. Almost none. How many think rioting and assaulting police is okay? Almost none. This is a good country with good people. Stand together. Reject the extremes. I can't think of a statement more concise and more on the money right now. Because that's where most of the country is. And people ask. They say, well, there are the Black Lives Matter activists out there don't stand with them because if they har- carry a Black Lives Matter sign because Black Lives Matter is anti-Israel. And don't do this because they're anti-this. and they're, You know, you don't have to agree with everybody 100% of their agenda just to say, you know what, you have a point. And can we find common ground somewhere? As Ed Koch would say, if you agree with me 100% of the time, you're insane. I think I'm paraphrasing that. But 
I think what's important here that we understand is that we don't need to be extreme when we approach this issue. We just don't. And I think the point, and we talked about Jim Mattis last week, his letter was that the president has often, and I think that this is a problem. And once again, I, I, I say this as a Republican who supports the president, who supports the Republican Party. Sorry, it's my show. I can be partisan. But at the same time, I don't think anybody's immune from criticism. I don't think I won't, well, I won't follow blindly. And I'm going to point out some of the problems I think the president has created for himself here. The president tries to stoke division. When in this case, he should be going for unity. And he's just not doing it. He's not making the speeches. He's not going, as I said last week, he should have gone to St. Paul's Church and he should have prayed. He should have said, open the Bible and read a passage. Somebody could have pointed something out for him to do it. Instead, it was just totally purposelessness. He just, the show of force itself was a device. Now, I'm sure there are people out there who are cheering it. But you see a certain amount of disconnect here, even amongst the president and certain of his base voters, right? We have a call right now of re-examining our country, meaning the United States of America's honoring of Confederate generals. Now, I understand, we have to talk about history. You have to know history in order to confront history and learn from history. You can't just whitewash and say the Confederacy didn't exist, that the Civil War didn't exist. It didn't happen because it's unpleasant. We don't, talk, we don't say that we try and learn from them. The same way we want people to learn from the Holocaust. We know that it happened. But these are soldiers who are generals, in many cases, who committed treason against the United States of America, who chose to take up arms and fight to destroy to beat the United States of America. And in many cases, they're a symbol of a past that would have kept black people enslaved, possibly forever. And it's not should not be a surprise to anybody that the Confederate battle flag is in a is a symbol of race of racial divide of hatred. It's not something that represents all Americans. It's something that represents those who supported rebellion against the United States of America. And the idea that we should continue to celebrate Confederate generals, again, who committed treason, we don't go ahead and name an army base after Benedict Arnold, who committed treason in the Revolutionary War. So there's this idea that we should go ahead and rename some of these army bases and take down some of the statues Possibly all of them. I don't know. I'm not to rewrite history, but to acknowledge the faults of history. And I don't love personally where this whole movement is going because I think there's a lot of mob mentality going on. I'll get to that in a second. But I do think that we have to acknowledge that there should be a conversation. Instead, the president just shut it down, said he's not even going to consider it. But at the same time, you have NASCAR, which who's caters to a more demo to a demographic that would that has brought brought confederate battle flags to events and 
bought them in cars and waved them. And there is a kind of a symbol of the heritage of the South. And I, I, we have to understand that people have that sense of pride and, but, and they, they're banning Confederate battle flags. And we see at the same time that the president is going one way and is not willing to entertain and feels that pushing back is so much more important of fighting is so much more important. He wants the sit he wants his base to see that he's fighting for them. And I get that. But this not might not be the time. And unfortunately, right now we see a tremendous erosion of the president's poll numbers. Now we don't believe polls necessarily and I cited some of them last week, and maybe they're not right, and maybe they are right. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into each specific poll, but Gallup, which is generally considered to be, you know, inaccurate, not entirely accurate. Let's put it that way. But you see a tremendous swing here over as the polling came out after George Floyd. Right at that point, President Trump in in the Gallup poll, the same poll, his approval rating had been forty nine percent previously, and this was amidst Corona. Down to thirty nine percent, his disapproval rating went from forty eight percent to fifty seven percent. Okay, and this is a tracking poll from Wednesday. So we see here. It's not just the absolute numbers. It's the swing that you see is quite tremendous. It's the swing in percentage. He went from 49-48, which is basically even, which is one of the best numbers that Trump has had, to 39-57. Now, we might say Gallup's not accurate, and I think there's a, like, people think it's 7%, but even that is a significant Swing, And if you look at the real clear average, and this is all the polls taken together, there's not a single poll in which President Trump is leading. And even if you go to Wisconsin, there's not a single poll where President Trump is leading. And if you go to Florida and you look at all the polls on real clear politics, okay, Biden ahead in all of them right now, all the recent polls, Michigan, Biden ahead in all the recent polls. Pennsylvania. Okay. CNBC had had the last poll saw Trump four percentage points ahead. Okay. 46 for Biden. Trump 50. But the other, even the Fox News poll had Trump ahead. I'm sorry, had Biden ahead by eight points. North Carolina. Okay. Kind of 50-50 right now. Trump basically on the average has a little bit of an edge, but now they pulled the convention from Charlotte. Looks like there's just going to be a meeting of the RNC in Charlotte, and they're going to have the actual what more party convention type in Jacksonville. I think a big gamble on the part of the Republican National Committee. North Carolina is a state they really need to win. Arizona, again, uh, Biden ahead of most of the polls. And the Senate race in Arizona, Mark Kelly versus Martha McSally, who was filling the seat of uh, John McCain. Uh, Mark Kelly up by double digits in most polls. So we see a significant erosion 
of Republican support. And, you know, since we can attract this, of course, the Republicans look like they might be in danger of losing the Senate, potentially. Uh, Colorado difficult for Republicans, Maine difficult for Republicans, Arizona now looking difficult for Republicans, North Carolina potentially difficult for Republicans. Uh, It's four seats. You expect Doug Jones to probably lose in Alabama. And uh, it's there's some very same now the president is going out there and there and Mike Pence and they're going to not swing states, but they're going to some traditionally Republican states. President's going to Texas today. Mentioned Texas, Arizona, North Carolina, Iowa, some of these states that I think were, were thought presidentially to be safely in the Republican column. But I think a lot of Americans are turning on the television and looking at the news and are dismayed by what they see. They're dismayed by the fact. And there's and the violence and the looting has really subsided. And we haven't really seen that in days. And that was awful and deplorable and, and sickening. And now they're seeing peaceful protests all throughout the country. And they're continuing. And it's sustained. And what does the president do? Unfortunately, it goes on Twitter and accuses a 75-year-old man, as we mentioned before, from Buffalo of being a member of Antifa and staging his own fall and bleeding from the head in order to entrap the police. And because he saw that on OAN. And then Kaylee McEnany goes out and there and defends it and says, well, it's a point of view we need to look at. Really? We need that point of view. I mean, why not say he shot himself? I, I just, it's a point of view. Somebody could say it. Somebody said it somewhere. And, you know, at the same time, as I mentioned, the president made a statement kind of romanticizing some of the Confederate generals who some of these army bases are named for. Now, I, I understand that. But just perspective of somebody who trained at Fort Bragg or Fort Hood or Fort Benning, some of these named after generals of the Confederacy, they might have a certain pride. They probably do have pride in these institutions. But on the other hand, if you're a black person, African-American soldier, do you feel that you're, you're there representing and fighting for your country and potentially dying for your country, that your country feels appreciative of you as a person when the man who the you're where you're stationed fought to keep you and your ancestors enslaved so i do want to just address for a second and i i, I know this is going to be well, I, I do think it's noteworthy to talk about just where the off-the-deep-end type of coarseness of our politics. And I do want to talk about Sebastian Gorka, because I don't under, really understand where he comes off essentially defrocking Jim Mattis of being a Marine and spending the whole last week savaging him for criticizing President Trump. Now, number one, in America, you are permitted to set to 
criticize. And that's appropriate. Jim Mattis came out and said he doesn't think that he thinks that Trump has so division. He doesn't think that he's the right man to leave the country. And he's entitled to his opinion. And it's a little bit surprising given his background in general. But Sebastian Gorka is out there saying, I know the Marines. I'm not a Marine myself. But Jim Mattis is not a Marine. Now, I don't want to attack Sebastian Gorka because, actually, I, I think that he is a, a pretty solid rhetor rhetorician. You know, he's, uh, he's a good debater, and uh, he serves a purpose, but he doesn't show himself to be a serious person along the lines of a Jim Mattis who has served the country. Now, Sebastian Gorka apparently could not get a security clearance, so he had to leave the White House. Um, and he was, and maybe he's exaggerated his credentials. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that here is a man criticizing a 30-year legacy of accomplishments, extraordinarily accomplishment in the U.S. Armed Forces, a flag officer, somebody who has served his country, which Sebastian Gorka has not, has never served in the military. He did a stint teaching in the military. And... Sa absolutely savaging Jim Mattis and saying that he is un-American. Now, criticism is not un-American. And if you can't deal with the criticism, deal with the facts that Donald Trump has struck a chord in America that many people find that he speaks for them. Uh, now, you might not like the messengers here of some certain people who served in the government and served and didn't mesh well with Donald Trump's personality. And there are quite a few of them. Now, but to say that this man is not a Marine, he is the quintessential Marine. I think we saw from everything that Jim Mattis did throughout his career that he was a pretty straight arrow. And I'm not holding him up to be a saint or anything like that. But to savagely attack him, when you yourself really have a lot of skeletons out there is um I, I thought I found it to be a little bit shocking. I mean and I it's kind of a idea that these these ideas on the on the right and on the left keep going off the deep end. Totally off the deep end. But it also says something about the president and you know I've talked about the personnel issues for a couple of years already and that these are these are issues that he, for some reason, he hires what he says are the best at the time, and these are just according to the presidents. He sours on them, and then by the time they leave, they're a disaster. I mean, you say Rex Torreson, who was your pick, you hired him for Secretary of State, and then you say he's dumb as a rock. Well, why did you hire him? H.R. McMaster. Jim Kelly. Jim Mattis. I mean, should I go? I mean, there's a lot of turnover. Rights Priebus, Anthony Scaramucci. These are all people who were Steve Bannon. And then you get rid of them. And somehow when you get rid of them, they are the worst. So maybe there's something wrong with the hiring process. Now let's just talk about the mob mentality as we close up here. Because I think that's just where... 
things are going, this defund the police. And I think that the Democrats and the progressive wings fails to have an opportunity here to capture the political center. And they just have squandered it with this defund the police. What do you mean defund the police? They get on. You had this councilwoman from, and she, I think she had a Jewish last name, which is not shocking, uh, <clears throat> in Minnesota. And she gets on and, they, and CNN asks her, well, what do you do if somebody, if you call the police in the middle of the night, if somebody's breaking into your home? And I think her response was, well, that itself is a question of a symbol of privilege. What? I don't have the right as a taxpayer, as a good American to go ahead and call the police if I want. If I need, not I want. If I need, if I need the protection of my life and property, that we're gonna de- we're gonna get rid of the police. We're gonna we gotta wholesale rethink policing. Well, you know, maybe you have to rethink training. Maybe we have to de-escalate violence. Maybe we have to do a whole bunch of things. But the idea of getting rid of law enforcement, like when they say abolish ICE, but we should have no border enforcement whatsoever, let anybody in. These ideas are outlandish. They are nuts. The same way that rioting is off the charts. It's it's well beyond what's acceptable. And that's why they lose ordinary Americans like me who are sympathetic to the goals of ending racial equality. But when you go ahead and attack 99% of police officers who you call them racist, they're, many of them are heroes. They don a badge and uniform every day in order to protect us and to protect the people of the United States of America. They deserve respect. They deserve our admiration. And they deserve our support. That's it here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.